good to see all of you here this morning. We are uh, gathered here because of a holiday, uh, Easter, a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that here every Sunday, by the way, but uh, today's a special one uh, day of a year that we set aside to, to celebrate that together in, in a more marvelous way. If you have a Bible, turn it to Luke chapter 24. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Um, and you can use that one, share that with the person next to you if, if you need to. Um, but I want to talk to you briefly about the resurrection. And, you know, that is the uh, very central core foundation of the Christian faith, uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes Christianity unique to every other world religion. Okay, there's no other religion in the world like Christianity because it is based upon the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he's not dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Charles Taz Russell is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. But Jesus Christ is alive. Okay? And so that is the core of our belief. This was proven uh, in the Bible. He showed himself multiple times to many people after his resurrection. In fact, there was a, a verse in Corinthians says there were over 500 witnesses of him after he ro rose from the dead. So it's not, a, there's always been somebody trying to uh, dismantle that and dis. Uh, tear it apart and disown it and, and say this happened and that happened. But you know, no one has been able to prove that. Amen. No one has been able to substantiate that Jesus is still in the grave. I promise you, if he was still in the grave, his enemies would have got his body out to prove us wrong. Amen. Okay? He wasn't found. He won't be found. And that's what we're going to talk about today is looking for him among the dead things of this world or the dead places of this world. Christianity is not a system of moral teaching. Christianity does have morality in it. Christianity does have teaching in it, but it is not a system based upon the moral teachings of a person. It is founded and based upon the crucified for our sins, risen for our justification. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and He's returning to take His bride home. Amen. Amen. That's what Christianity is based upon. There are people who believe that. There's people who don't believe that. I imagine there's someone here today that doesn't really believe that. All right? But you came patiently to satisfy a relative or whoever. You came maybe searching yourself for some truth. You heard about this church, so you wanted to come and, and see what we were about, see what Christianity is about, see what the Bible is about. Today, I, I pray that you would open your heart to the truth. Amen. Don't close it up. Don't walk in these doors and sit in that pew and say, I'm not going to hear or believe a word they say. Be honest. If you came seeking, then seek. Amen. Amen. If you came looking, then look. If you came wanting, then want. But let the Lord speak to you today from His Word. Amen. Right? Listen, if this resurrection was not true, then Jesus is a liar. Amen. Okay? He predicted it. He said it. 
It's going to be part of our text that he told his disciples and many people that he would be handed over into the hands of sinful men. He would be crucified on a cross. And then on the third day, he would raise again. So he predicted it. He said it. If it's a lie, then he's a liar. And why would we follow a liar? Amen. Why would we want to follow a liar? If he's not risen, then his death did not secure the forgiveness of our sin. If Jesus Christ is still in the grave, then we have really no hope. In fact, the Bible explains it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on the screen. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So if Jesus is still in the grave, you and I are still accountable for our sin. He was not able to secure the forgiveness of our sin if he was not raised from the dead. His resurrection was God's stamp of approval on his son and on the plan of redemption for mankind. God put his stamp on Jesus by raising him from the dead. He accomplished what God sent him to do. Jesus didn't deserve to die if you read the back of your bulletin, did he? He committed no sin. He didn't deserve to die. The Father raised him up as a stamp of approval that he lived a sinless life. The Father also raised him up to vindicate us and to show that Jesus defeated death and hell and sin. The grave could not hold him. He was raised from it. So, with that belief and understanding, there was a reason why he went through that. It wasn't to draw attention to himself, I promise you. It was for you. He went through that for you. He paid the debt. We sang a song. He paid the debt that you could not pay. Some of you are still under that debt. Some of you have not come to know him as Lord and Savior. Some of you are still living in your sin. And you're under a debt that you can never pay. But you will pay it. One day when you stand before him, you'll pay it with your eternal life. Amen. Amen. Jesus paid it 2,000 years ago with his life so that you could have life. Man, think about that. If you came looking, look. Look at the Savior He did it for you. He loves you. His resurrection is vital to us. His resurrection is the core of our belief. Without the resurrection, Christianity is just another human effort to reach up to God. Just like the Muslims reaching up to God. Just like the Mormons reaching up to God. Just like all other religions are reaching up to God. And Christianity is the only religion where God reached to you. God reached down to man in Christianity and on the cross of Jesus Christ to save you, to rescue you from that event. If without Christianity, I mean without the resurrection, Christianity is emptied of its power. It is emptied of its source of power and transforming hope that God gives us. Without the resurrection, Christianity is a mere shell of a religion that's not worth the effort you devote to it. If Christ is not raised from the grave. To be a believer in Christ is to believe in His resurrection. All right? The only place in the Bible that tells us how to be saved 
Romans chapter 10 says it like this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. You see that? It's important that you understand that. That you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now we're going to read a story about some women and some disciples who couldn't wrap that around their thinking. All right? So let's stand together, and I'm going to ask you to back up to chapter 23, all right, starting in verse 50. And let's read. 23, verse 50. And behold, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he did not consent to the plan and action. What does that mean? It meant that Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin council, and he did not submit to the Sanhedrin's council plan of crucifying this Christ. He did not submit to that, okay? Verse 51, he had not consented to the plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth, and he laid him in a tomb, cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. 54, and it was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after, and saw the tomb, and how his body was laid. And they returned to prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. Verse 1 of 24, but, I love that word in the Bible, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remembering how he, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, and he said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. You may be seated. Thank you. Listen, these women who followed Jesus for the three years of his ministry and the disciples who ended up running to the tomb later could not wrap around their mind and thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even though he had told them they needed to be reminded, they really didn't understand exactly what he was referring to, just like some of us here today. We have a difficulty wrapping our mind around someone raising from the dead. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? And so, with that, let's talk about this resurrection a little further. Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? This was the question that was given to these women by the two angels. 
It's a great question. It could be fit for each one of us in this room today. If that is the case, and this question was put out to each of us in this room, it would divide this room into groups. All right? It would divide us into groups. One group would be the believers. Those of you seated here who believe, who are following the Lord, who love Him, who trust Him, who serve Him, this question is applied to you today. Why are you looking for life among the dead? We say, how does a believer look for life among the dead? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I would say this about each of you church members, not just a member here at Aaron Springs, but maybe you're a member of another church somewhere. I would say this to you. Have you ever put your mind on the things of the world? As a believer, of course we do. Of course we do. We, we sometimes uh, place our comfort based upon our wealth. Sometimes I look ahead to my retirement. Sometimes I look ahead to investments. Sometimes I look ahead to different things, just like you do. All right, And we start planning and we start thinking and we start feeling comfortable about ourselves because of our wealth. You will never find life like that. You'll always be worried about your wealth. Jesus said this, It is more difficult for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Okay? Stop church member, looking for comfort in your wealth. Alright? Sometimes we look at life and we find rest when we are successful. After I've made my wealth, now I can sit back and rest. I have found success. As a church member, we sometimes think like that and we consider that. You may own a business and your business is the main drive in your life. It's the main goal for you at this moment in your life. You won't find the Lord in that. Amen. You won't find Jesus in that type of approach to your living. Hey, I know you have to pay bills. I know you have to work hard. And I know you have to make plans. But you must seek Him above everything. Seek Him first. You won't find Him in your wealth. You won't find Him in your success. And maybe you're one of the people seated here today that you tell people what to do. You speak and they listen. You direct and they go. You say jump and they say how high. Amen. You're one of those people that's got position in life. Seniority. You've got prominence. You've got power. Let me tell you, you won't find life like that. You know why? Because Jesus said this. He said the highest position that a man can attain to in this world is to be a servant. Amen. Whoa, Brother Clay, no, no. I could never, never submit myself to being a servant and letting someone tell me what to do and someone to rule over me. And someone to direct me, I cannot attain to that. That's why you're not experiencing life. Because you're looking for it in position 
and prominence and wealth and success. That's to the church member, okay? Let me show you a verse in Matthew chapter 24, 23, I'm sorry, verse 27. Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. If I'm more worried about my appearance, hey, we all dress up for Easter, don't we? And, and, and that's great. I, I'm, I'm about that. I was going to wear black pants today, and Gail said, it's Easter. <laughs> okay? So I had to put on this uh, Benny Hinn-looking thing here I got going. <laughs> but listen to me. Listen now. If you're worried about your appearance and what people think of you instead of what he thinks of you, this is what Jesus was speaking about on the screen. He said, woe to you. On the outside, you're beautiful. You look like a whitewashed tomb. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Be concerned about what he thinks of you, not what I think of you. I'm concerned about what he thinks of me above what I'm concerned about what you think of me. Okay? Yeah, we're supposed to be examples, but he is the one that we follow. Sometimes we as church members get tied up in ceremony. All right? We get tied up in ritual. We get tied up in places and things and events and days and times and years. And we get tied up to the point that we stop looking for Him. And we start addressing all of the issues around us in the times and the things that we're supposed to do. Listen to me. People stumble from one holy day to the next. The next one's Christmas. And then Easter. And then Christmas. And then Easter. Right? And people stumble from one to the next. People stumble from one holy place to another holy place. They'll go from this church to another church and from that church to another church. And they're looking for life, but they're looking in the wrong places. You're not going to find life in the church. You're going to find the Savior in the church. And He's the one that gives you life. So we stumble from holy day to holy day. We stumble from holy place to holy place as church members. And then we stumble from hocus pocus to hocus pocus. Hey, they're doing this over at that church. They're doing this at that church. They like this over here. They got great worship over there. They got a good preacher down here. And we stumble around going from place to place looking for life. The Lord said that He will plant you where He wants you and stay put. Don't uproot yourself. And jump around from church to church. Stay planted where the Lord puts you. Where you know is home. Where you're being fed. Where you're being filled with the Word and with the Spirit of God. We think that it's places and times and events how we have to worship. Jesus met a woman at the well. And she told him, she said, hey, we Samaritans believe that this mountain is where we're supposed to worship, but you Jews say in Jerusalem is where we're supposed to go and worship. I want to show you what Jesus responded to that with. Woman, 
Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Don't get tied up in when, where, how, and what. Get tied up in Jesus, church member. Okay? Now, let's go to the next group. We went to the believers. Let's go to the next group, the seeker. Now, I'm not going to say you're not seeking for Christ. I'm going to say that you're seeking for pleasure or you're seeking for joy in your life. You're seeking for fulfillment. All right? And so most times, most places, we look for that joy and fulfillment in sin. Stay with me. Stay with me. We look for that in places that are dead. All sin is dead. You young people, I was young, if you can believe that. I was young at one time, and I went looking all what the world had to offer. And I'm telling you right now, it has nothing but grief and nothing but pain and nothing but sorrow to offer us. Only Christ has life. Only Christ has truth. All right? God gave us commandments. The seeker thinks those commandments are to hold him back from life. The believer understands those commandments to be life. Right? How do we know that? Well, look what Moses said to the Israelites back in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, and by holding fast to Him. For this is your life and length of days. We find life in the commandments. We find happiness and joy in the commandments of God. Let's suppose, just for a minute, with me, go with me here for a minute, and let's pretend that God said this, here are my commandments, and when you violate them, and when you break them, you will find happiness. That, that's absurd, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's not even wise to think like that. But that's how the seeker lives his life. He lives them apart from God's commandments because he thinks he's Living. He thinks he's enjoying life. He thinks he's finding pleasure. Most of you are the age where you have children. Do you reward your children for their disobedience? Do you give them gifts for their waywardness? Of course not. You govern your house. You establish the rules as a parent. And when your child breaks those rules, you enact the punishment due to the crime. Amen? So, should not God stand up for His law? Should God not say, here is my 
commandments, my law. Live by them and you will find life. You break them and you will find death. The blessing and the curse. God certainly is showing us that today and showing it to you, seeker. You say, well, how come I'm not being punished as yet? Well, here's why. Romans chapter 2. Let's read. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Let me back up. It's God's kindness that leads us to Him. It's not His wrath. It's not His jealousy over us. It's not His anger. It's not His retribution. It's not His punishment that leads us to Him. It's His love and His kindness. This is what Paul is writing. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. You think God's not keeping a record? That verse right there says He is. He's keeping a record of everything you do. And if you're not living by His commandments, then you are storing up wrath for yourself. Wow, don't go there. Listen to me, seeker. Find God. Let Him lead you. Follow His commands and you will find what you're looking for. I was 34 years old before I realized that. I looked around this world from one end to the other for life and pleasure and fun and joy. And all I got in return was misery and gloom. And I wound up in the bottom of a barrel called life. And God called my name. And I stuck my hand up out of that barrel and He picked me up out of that. And I became a believer. And He cleaned me up. And He changed my life. And He gave me a beautiful woman to share it with. And now I follow Him. And now I am living. I'm not existing and I'm not dying. I'm living because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants that for you. Here's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or bad. Amen. You see, you think, well, where is this God? Where is He? I'm telling you, He hasn't come yet because He's waiting for you. He's patiently waiting for you to accept Him and receive Him and to love Him. That's where He's at. If He came now, seeker, you would be doomed to hell. But God is patiently waiting for you to turn your heart to Him. That is the kind of God that loves you. He's patiently waiting for you. We've looked at the believer. We've looked at the seeker. Now let's look at the guy in between the two. Okay? This is a person who's concerned. He wants to be with God, yet he finds himself stuck in the world. 
Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Okay? He, he wants to be uh, free from the wrath of God, yet he finds himself trapped in sin. Do not seek salvation in this way by ritual and rite. Okay? You come to church this morning. You're stuck in between. Your sins got you, but you want to be saved. You want to believe, but the sin has got its claws in you, and you've got this war going on in your heart. It's called spiritual warfare, and it takes place in every human being. It took place in me, and it took place in all, and it's taking place in some of you here this morning, this battle between the world and God. And you think this, perhaps, you concerned person, you think that you could please God, that he would be accepting of you, that if you could maybe pray a little more, or, or maybe start going to church a little more regularly. Or maybe even dusting off that old Bible in the closet and getting it out and reading it. That would make God pleased with me. There's something horribly wrong with that approach. Okay? You won't find God in your willpower. You won't find God in your righteousness. You won't find life like that, okay? You'll become like the Pharisees of Jesus' day that took the commandments of God, the life God gave, and then they begin to add to it. And they begin to expound on it. And they got so tangled up in their own religion and in their own effort to be pleasing to God that they missed Jesus when he walked right by them. Okay? Think about this for a moment. God delivers the Israelites from Egypt. This is not a, only a biblical story. It's a history book story. You'll find this story in the books of history. Also, you'll find it in the Bible. But God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. And he takes them right up to the promised land. But they don't go in. Why? Because they're afraid of the people that live there. They're giants. Okay? They're giants. And so God says this. He says, okay, turn around and go back out in the wilderness. And I'm going to cause you to wander around out there for 40 years in a circle. All around Mount Sinai. We'll cause you to wander around. And when this generation dies off, I'm going to take your kids back to the border. And that's what happened. 40 years they wandered in that wilderness and that generation died off. Why? Because they disobeyed God? No. The Bible says it's because they did not believe God. It's not your disobedience that keeps you out of heaven, brother. It's your disbelief. Now, these Israelites experienced the miracles of God in delivering them from Egypt. And they also experienced the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day that led them around. And yet, when they came to the border to cross into the land that God was giving them, they wouldn't go in because they didn't believe God could do it. 
It wasn't their disobedience. It was their disbelief that caused them to die. Thousands of them died. Let's go forward now. 5,000 years. Jesus is here on the earth. And the Jews have got him surrounded. And he's teaching them and telling them about God and the love and forgiveness found in God. But these Jews are wrapped up in their religion. And guess what? The Romans are oppressing them. And Jesus dies on the cross for us, raised from the dead, ascended back to the Father. And in about 30 more years, the Romans come and annihilate the Jews. Wipe them out. Tear down their capital city and drive them across this earth. Scattering the Jews around the world. Thousands of them died. Why? Because they were disobedient? No. Because they did not believe Jesus Christ. They did not believe God. They looked at Him. They touched Him. They heard His voice. But they did not believe what He said. When the Bible says that God so loved the world and gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, that word belief is not in reference to whether you believe He existed or not. Okay? It doesn't, uh, it's not in reference to what you think about Him being here or not being here. That's not what it means to believe. What it means to believe is that you lay down your life to the King. What it means to believe is you surrender to Him. What it means to believe is that you believe what He says. You believe what He has proclaimed. You believe what He has told about the future. You believe about your sin. You believe about the forgiveness of sin. You believe everything that Jesus spoke. That is to believe. Not that He existed or not, but you believe what He says. Now, it says in John 3.16, let me just read that to you. It says in verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You don't go to judgment Because you're disobedient. You don't go to heaven because your good weighs more than your bad. And you don't go to hell because your bad is more than your good. You go to hell because you don't have and did not believe Jesus. You did not believe what he said. He said he's coming again. He said one day the world will be judged For its sin. One day, every man will stand before him. You don't believe that? That's okay. You're good. You'll pay with your eternal life. And you'll spend it in hell. That's okay. Or you can believe him. Believe what he said. And you can bend your knee to him today. And you can receive him and his life for you. That's the choice. That's what it comes down to. Those of you who are concerned, trapped between the world and between God. 
what happens is when I start to please him and I start to read and I start to go to church and I start to fix this habit. I got to get rid of that stuff, man. And, and, you, and you get rid of it and you start trying to straighten your life up. You know what you're doing? You're becoming your own savior. You're trusting in you. You're trusting in what you can do. You're trusting in your strength and your willpower to save you. And God says, there are no other saviors besides me. Amen. Amen. God is the Savior. And so we cannot allow ourselves to think that we can save ourselves by doing. All we can do is depend upon Christ. All we can do is trust in Christ. All we can do is call out to Christ and you will be saved. Christ doesn't want your works. He wants your surrender. Christ doesn't want your power. He wants your weakness. He doesn't want your full life. He wants your emptiness. Christ wants your humility, not your pride. He doesn't need you to help Him. He came to save sinners, not the righteous. So today I say, Father, call them to you. Today I say, Spirit, draw them to you. And if the Father is calling you and the Spirit is drawing you, then Christ will save you. Amen? That's what it is to be saved, to surrender your life to Him. These women were looking for life among the dead. He was not there. Some of you are looking for life with dead things. Some of you are looking for life among the dead. Where are you looking for this life? For the living one. I want you to look at this for a moment. You are a creation of God made in His image. You have been ruined by sin. You were created by God in His image, but you've been ruined by sin. Today, you could be restored by His grace. Okay? You were created by Him. You were ruined by sin. You can be restored by Him today. God has made Himself known to you. You won't find God in the things of this world. Well, Brother Clay, where do I find Him? Right there. Okay? Right here in your heart. Now, how does that work? How do I find God in my heart? Back in the Old Testament, God said through the prophet Jeremiah... You will seek for me, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. This is how you find God. You become willing to lay everything else aside to find God, to find Jesus, to find life. You realize this, when you were born into this world, you were born into the land of the dying. 100% guaranteed every person dies. 100%. You were born into the land of the dying. Jesus came to rescue you from that. Take his hand. Find him in your heart. Search for him with your heart and you'll find him. He made a promise. Amen. Today could be your day to change your life. Are you stuck between the world and God, knowing both, living in both? 
In Christianity, there is no in-between. Like the song that Bart sang earlier, the line has been drawn in the sand, and I want to be found on God's side, holding His hand. Let's pray together. Father, bless Your uh, service, Lord. Bless Your moment here of decision-making. Bless the people as they consider what You have told them today about Yourself. I pray, Lord, that Your will is accomplished in this place. Lord, I know how hard it is to, to uh, surrender to you. I fought it for a long time. I wondered what my dad would think of me. I wondered what my mom would think of me, my brothers, my friends. What if I became a Christian? What would the people at work think of me? But Lord, I remember that day that you called my name didn't matter what anybody else thought of me. It only mattered what you thought of me. And I thank you for loving me enough to call me and giving me the courage to come and receive you as my Savior and to walk with you and to know you, to love you. And Lord, I pray that what you've done for me in my life, you would do for someone here today, that they would meet you They would put everything else aside and they would come and find you because you are life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.